0: Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 235, dedicated to a couple teams who, on February 21st, 1931, played the very first night exhibition baseball game, the Chicago White Sox and the New York Giants. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we will be joined by Mr. Matt Taylor. He is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Matt Taylor's journey to where he is currently as the voice of an NFL franchise is different than maybe people we have had here on the podcast or different than a journey that you might map out in your head. From being a three-year starter on the football team, as well as being the GM of the college radio station, to some interesting jobs he had along the way shortly after graduating from college, to his journey to being the voice of the Colts. It's very unique to him, and I believe it's why he is such a good play-by-play broadcaster for the Indianapolis Colts. Matt and I have a fun time going through his journey, um, highlighting some specific things about him, as well as at the end of the conversation, Matt is a broadcaster, a person, that can do impressions of people in sports. May it be a play-by-play broadcaster, may it be a sports talk radio host, Matt is really good at this impression thing. So at the end, he does an impression of Marv Albert, You'll laugh. He does one of the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, Don Fisher. You'll laugh. He also does some of local sports talk radio hosts in Indianapolis. Sit back, relax, enjoy this fun conversation with the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, Mister Matt Taylor. And joining us now here on the Jay Stevens podcast, it is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. It is Matt Taylor. Matt, how you doing today? I'm good, Jay. What's happening, man? I'm doing well. It's cold outside still here. I'm in Indianapolis, and uh, I'm not too fond of this weather. One one thing I am fond of is having you on the podcast, so it kind of evens out.
1: I appreciate that. I hate this weather, too. I can deal with the cold, but I'm not a snow guy. Snow snow ruins everything, right? It ruins the roads. It ruins schedules. Games get postponed. Plans get changed. So I'm right there with you, man. But before you know it, I mean, it's going to be May. And we're going to be talking about, you know, mowing grass and doing yard work. And then we're going to be complaining about that. So careful what you wish for, right?
0: (laughs) This is true. One thing I want to ask, or I do ask every broadcaster that comes on the podcast, no matter if it's a voice of a team or someone that does things um, at a national level, even local level, when did you know that you wanted to have a career in sports broadcasting?
1: Yeah, really early, really early. Um, You know, I I was that, you know, quintessential, like, 10-year-old kid that knew – You know then that he wanted to have a career on the radio didn't matter didn't really know knew then um you know what exactly but i was just fascinated by someone talking in a speaker at me and allowing me to use my imagination whether they're doing a gag on the bob and tom show or you know a rock station uh which i was really big into or telling a story about a game you know doing play-by-play with sports so I knew as a kid that I wanted to do something in entertainment on the radio. I was just kind of fascinated by, you know, the the romanticism of of radio and the medium of just kind of you and someone else talking to you uh, really kind of drew me in. Um, and so the older I got, the more involved I became in sports in high school and college. I, I played three sports in, in high school, um, played played four years of Division three football. And, you know, the, the the more involved I got into sports and athletics, the more I, I kind of started to center myself around, hey, maybe I can, you know, talk about sports. You know, I, I play these uh these these sports at a decently, uh you know, high level, if you will, on the varsity side of things in high school and college. And, you know, I could talk about these things with, you know, so some intellect and, and maybe I can make a career out of this. And so that's when I started to listen to a ton of games and take in as many uh play by play broadcasts as i could to kind of uh learn from the best and kind of craft my own style take bits and pieces from from different guys and how they were doing things to kind of you know make up your own melting pot uh, melting pot way of of doing things from a broadcast standpoint so when i got to college i, I was really centered on you know doing play by play getting as as much experience in that craft as possible you know right away i was doing you know, men's basketball, uh, women's basketball, at the D3 level on the campus radio station. And, you know, the, the the baseball team traveling with all those different sports. And so to me, you know, this is kind of a long winded answer. But to me, it didn't matter that I wasn't doing Division one games. For me, it was just about experience and calling as many games as possible. It didn't matter that my audience was probably, you know, a couple of, you know, ten, tens of people with, you know, students back home on the campus or, you know, moms or dads or grandparents listening that that was my audience, but I really didn't care It was about getting experience, learning from my mistakes, and just kind of honing in my craft on on how to how do I do this at the next level, do this, you know, professionally, so to speak.
0: Matt, were you one of those kids when you were, say, 10, 11, 12 years old, that would get the brush out of the drawer, and then call the game while it's on the television?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was that guy. Remember back in the day, uh, you know, the early 90s when, when Home Alone came out and he yeah, had the Talk yeah. Boy? Yeah. Remember the Talk Boy? Okay, I, I wanted the Talk Boy because I was obsessed with that movie, like every, you know, eight, nine year old, you know, with Macaulay Culkin growing up there. But I wanted the Talk Boy so that I could broadcast my own games in the living room. I mean, I did game seven of the World Series on a Talk Boy, I would do Pacers play by play on the Talk Boy. So, you know, it was funny somebody asked me during the pandemic, you know, when, when everything kind of first shut down and we were trending towards uh, doing games remotely. And somebody asked me, Hey, have you ever, have you ever called the game remotely? And I said, yeah, but not since I was eight on a talk boy in my (laughs) living room. Right. So um, it was kind of deja vu as far as that goes, but no, I mean, again, I, I was just that kid that knew I wanted to do something in radio. And the more I became involved in sports, watching sports, playing sports, you know, the more I sort of trended and, and and gravitated towards, you know, doing, you know, pretending like I was doing a, a sports show or a sports update, a sports center appearance, things like that, or just play by play, which I ultimately got into.
0: I love that. I love hearing stories about how people, when they were younger, how they did the odd things that most people nowadays, even back then they would say, kid, you're weird. Like, what are you doing? But it kind of molded you into being who you are now and doing what you love, which is broadcasting and doing play-by-play of the team you grew up watching. Well, now, now people
1: replace that experience that I had, right. Doing, uh, pretending like I was Al Michaels doing game seven on a talk boy. Now, uh, you know, every mom and dad has a laptop or an iPad and you can start a podcast, right. And uh, what we're doing right now, I mean, everybody has a podcast, And I think it's great because it gives everybody a voice. It gives everybody experience way more experience than I had growing up. I mean, my first taste of really getting behind a mic and cutting my teeth and again, learning from my mistakes did not happen until I went to college. Hmm. My high school did not have a campus radio station. Uh, It did not offer. I mean, this was, this was pre everything, right? This was pre Twitter where you could just hit a button and go live and talk to the world. Yeah. I did not have that. I, I didn't grow up with that. And I was sort of on the cusp of, of all of that happening from a technology standpoint, but yeah, now, now, kids nowadays, they just, they do it for real. Like you and I are doing it and they're, you know, they're, they're building up a huge audience. You know, I know 12 year olds that have a YouTube channel that are making money off of it and, and that's great for them. But, you know, back in the day, you know, I had the talk boy and I talked to myself, not much has changed.
0: <laughs> not, no, it hasn't. Not much has changed at all. I talked to. Scott Agnes, and I think this was last year, maybe it was 2021, maybe 2020, forget the exact year, but he talked about how in his high school, he went to North Central, and he got to call high school basketball. Eric Gordon was at the school when he was there, and he talked about how he got to call the state championship, um, It was it, 07, I think it was North Central versus East Chicago uh, at, at, in that year, but she went to, I believe, Ron Colley. A lot of high schools nowadays have these programs where you can do things on TV or maybe do things via radio where you're getting that experience early. Did that hinder you once you got to college? Cause I know in college you were doing playing football, but also setting things up and then also calling games there. Do you think that experience that you didn't have in high school kind of hindered you in college or did it help you kind of work harder once you got there?
1: Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it hurt me. Maybe, it didn't give me the head start that kids nowadays are getting. Yeah. There's no question about that. I mean, you talk about getting, you know, radio experience or TV experience, you know, in the, in the traditional sense of being behind a mic or being in front of the camera, you don't even need a TV or a radio station anymore to do those kinds of things. Given, you know, you can stream from your living room and, and make it look like a TV set, just like, you know, again, a lot of kids are doing nowadays. So, you know, I hate to sound like, you know, back in my day, but like, it was just a different time back then. I mean, I, this was the early two thousands, you know, when I graduated uh, high school, moved into college. Um, I I will say if, if, if anything, uh, by not having that high school experience in terms of, of, of broadcasting um, jumping off point uh, I, I made up for that in college. Yeah. Because going to a small school like Franklin where I went, again you you didn't have to wait in line to really get your hands dirty you know and there's there's nothing against going to ball state and indiana or some of these other big schools that have tremendous programs and they are all fantastic programs in fact most people when they first meet me and they find out what i do one of their first questions uh are is what year did you graduate ball state and i have to tell them right you know it's it's that good but i think what i had going for me is I wanted to play ball, I wanted to be a football player, I wanted to be an athlete, I was not a Big Ten athlete, I was a Division Three, you know, pretty decent player at that level, um, and so I wanted to play football, but I also wanted to go to a place where I could get a good education and get hands-on experience, and so, like I said, when you go to these big schools and these bigger programs, you got to wait your turn, you're not, you're an upperclassman before you're calling games for the campus radio station, whereas, When I was before I got to be a junior, I had already called hundreds of games, you know, between women's basketball, men's basketball. And I just had, you know, the the first time I stepped on campus, you know, we had these orientation meetings like a lot of colleges do. Right. Where you you sign up for classes and they tell you where things are. This building's here. This building's there. That kind of thing. I, I remember asking my leader, if you will, I said, where is the campus radio station? And how do I get involved? It doesn't matter what it is. And, you know, so I did it all. I was, you know, music DJ, news, news correspondent. Uh, By the end of it, I was running the sports department, uh, obviously, and then was the general manager of the radio station. And the story that you brought up, that funny story, I mean, when I was a senior, I was the GM of the radio station, but I was also playing on the football team. It was my responsibility as the GM of the radio station to make sure the game was broadcasted that day. So I had to sign other students, right, my peers, to call the game, but I had to set up the equipment for them. So I'm up there like half-dressed in my football uniform (laughs) two hours before the game setting up the gear for the game I'm about to play in and start in on the football team. So I loved my experience in college because it was a small school that gave me a lot of opportunities that allowed me to kind of get my feet wet and really kind of flame the, the the passion and the fire that I had for doing this at the next level from uh, or on a professional level. So, again, I always say it doesn't matter that I didn't go to a Division One school or a big school. If you're good and you've got passion and you've got drive and you've got the work ethic, people will find you. They will notice it. And don't let, you know, don't 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 let people think, hey, just because you're going to a school of fifteen hundred kids, you got no shot at doing this at a big level.
0: Hey, Matt, this gives us a little time to kind of go back in time to kind of relive some of those emotions or thoughts that were in your head while you were the GM of the radio station, while you're playing football. That very first game, when you had to set things up, right before playing in the game, what was going through your mind? Because I know myself, I'd be nervous, not only because like I set it up, but I'm not calling the game. And so if something goes wrong, I hope that I taught everybody that's in that booth the proper way (laughs) to handle any kind of mishap or things like that. What was going through your mind that very first time you had to set up and then go play?
1: Well, the the biggest thing is you're not necessarily worried about the the on air content as as bad as that sounds, because, you know, it's a college it's a college broadcast for a division three level program and so it's not going to sound like you know westwood one's broadcast of the super bowl coming up on sunday right we all know that to me it was just make sure they get on the air and stay on the air and so i would be lying if you know we weren't running off the field for a series where i getting a three and out defensive stop and i'm looking up at the press box to make sure like there's still there's still two guys in the window (laughs) having headsets on and still talking as if they're they're broadcasting the game so yeah i mean I would say 95% of my attention was always on the game, but I would, I would give myself that 5% window, a little look up here and there to make sure everything looked to be in order. There's no question about that.
0: Was there ever a time things went bad?
1: Not that I can remember. Okay. Um, Really? I mean, I'm sure they did and I didn't know about it, but you know, we never got to, you know, uh, Chernobyl level 10 or anything like that, where we just didn't broadcast the game or anything like that. I think they, for the most part stayed on the air and, were able to do an adequate job of of calling the game and letting people know what was going on.
0: How did that experience, not so much playing football and then being the GM of the radio station, but calling the men's basketball, women's basketball, I think there was one other sport you called there as well, how did that help shape you for post-graduation when you're trying to figure things out and there's really no blueprint for trying to get into this field?
1: No, there isn't, and... Uh, regardless of the amount of games that i called and i called a lot of games and i was i was just that campus dork i mean I, I was busy i was really busy being a full-time student full-time athlete and then on the weekends listen not a lot of people are volunteering to go on a bus trip to defiance ohio or manchester indiana right and especially in the winter for for basketball um but i i loved it i i just wanted to you know, feel like I was part of a team, even though I was already on a team playing football, it was nice to kind of build a camaraderie with, you know, different uh, students that I didn't hang out with, you know, for whatever reason, this gave me an opportunity to get to know more people and just call as many games as possible. But um, even though I had that, that bank of games built up, Mm -hmm. right. You you graduate college. And like you said, there is no blueprint for this. And I had to kind of find my way and, you know, I had to, um, yeah, I moved back in with my parents and, you know, that's, that's kind of self deflating, right? Because you want to kind of hit the ground running right out of college and see where you can go and see how high you can get right away. So that was kind of deflating. Um, I had a lot of part-time jobs. Um, I worked at a, a country radio station in Newcastle, Indiana, uh, on the weekends. I was the the weekend guy from four to eight on Saturdays and Sundays and, you know, whatever money I made to to do that job or have that job, I just I, w- I blew it all in gas money driving out there in this old pickup truck that I had. And to be honest with you, it was a country music station and I hate country music, at least the, the classic stuff or the, the new stuff, I should say. I like the classic stuff, the old stuff. But I tell you what, I mean, I went all in just like I did everything. I mean, between four and eight on Saturdays and Sundays, I knew everything there was to know about country music. I can tell you that. Right. So I faked it. There's no question. And then I did high school basketball, high school football, kind of freelance for a couple of different things. Um, I did uh, women's volleyball for Indiana University. I had a kind of a connection there. So I, I I traveled with the IU women's team uh, to all the different big 10 cities, which was an absolute thrill for me. Right. Going, getting to go to call a game at, um, you know, the Breslin center and, Mm -hmm. you know, assembly hall and Mackey arena and all these great places where, you know there's a lot of tradition in the Big Ten. I was doing you know volleyball broadcasts as a 22 year old, wasn't making any money, but again, it wasn't that wasn't my goal. I wanted to just network, build up connections, and get behind the mic and just continue to kind of pad my resume and uh produce a, a high level demo. So, um, got a, got a job, uh, also working part time at Emmis mm-hmm. 1070 The Fan. Uh, I was part time as part time can be uh, working there. I'm sure they just grabbed my resume off a stack of papers and gave me a call and i was happy to answer that i mean my my first in there was uh answering phones for bob lovell show Mm. which is a high school sports call-in show fridays and saturday nights it the the show airs from 9 30 to midnight so i'm a 22 year old guy and most of my friends you move back home and they would want to go out on friday and saturday night to a bar or a party they were still kind of in that young post-college mode and you got to tell them, hey, guys, I can't go. I got to go answer phones for a sports show where I'm making minimum wage. And they look at you like you have three heads. They're like, what, what are you doing? But it's an end, right? It's a foot in the door. I tell that story all the time because I took that job. And then a couple weeks later, I'm doing updates. Then I'm producing the show. Then I'm filling in other shows on radio stations in the cluster that MS owned at the time. Then I'm a full-time producer, right? So I'm just kind of working my way up uh, within the company. But my in was a crappy, suck job answering phones, and they don't even have that job anymore because everything's on Twitter, everything's online, right? It's all on social media. Just post the scores there, so it's really kind of an antiquated deal. But like that was my thing—just get my foot in the door, show them my I'm much more than just a body that can answer a phone and write down a score. Um, and you know, in short order, I was able to kind of show my versatility, work my way up, and show them I got drive, I got passion, work ethic, those kinds of things. So. If I said no to that crap job, I would have said no to everything that happened after that. So that's that's always my you know go to story as far as telling people how this works, what you have to do. You got to put in your time, put in the work because you're not going to graduate college and become Bob Costas. That's what I thought was going to happen to me. So it's just kind of a long winding road, and you don't really know definitively where it's going to go.
0: That's a great lesson for everybody listening to this, or even watching this via the uh, video on YouTube. Everybody can learn from you and the, the way that you got to where you are. People see you, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. You're calling the game. Um, you can stream the games on on 1070 The Fan their app, I believe, unless it's that might be blocked due to like NFL copyright stuff like that. But I do know you can get the game on Sirius XM, and so it's a na- it's not just national. People around the world can literally listen to you call a football game. But it goes back to those early days where you're doing a job that a lot of people don't want to do. Nobody wants. A lot of people don't want to work, 22 years old, Friday, Saturday night, late night, a- after high school basketball, high school football's over, you're the ones that's answering these phone calls for Bob Love. Well, that's a fun show. I've listened to that show before, but a lot of people don't want that job. But simply saying yes and getting that foot in the door, right. a lot of people can realize, yeah, it might be ugly. It might be dull. It might be boring early. But down the road, if I keep working and grinding, I might get to where I want to be.
1: And 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 you got to work hard. You got to put in the time. You got to do the dirty work. I mean, to your point. I mean, when I first started with the Colts, I was also um, doing freelance play-by-play to still hone my craft and and make sure I didn't completely abandon that. Because when I first started with the Colts, I was, you know, doing production work and overseeing the entire uh, operation. I was doing everything except call the game. To be honest with you, Um, but I, I wanted to continue to call games and it was a full-time job working with the Colts, you know, it was during the season, you know, 60 plus hours worth of work and then traveling with the team, leaving on Saturday, um, getting back late, depending on the time of the game, Sunday night or Monday morning, but I'd work all week, you know, Monday through Friday, come home and I would get ready for the high school game. I had that, that week, go to work on Friday, work all day, go to the game on Friday night, get home at. You know, eleven o'clock, eleven thirty. Pack a bag, be out the door by eleven a.m., eleven thirty for the Colts game that weekend. Get back, do it all over again. And you have to have a really good support system. And I have been incredibly blessed as far as that goes because my wife, who was my then girlfriend at the time when this journey first started, um, she understood what I was trying to do. She understood that I was trying to attack this uh, professionally and see how far I could go. Um, and I never really had a plan B, maybe that was a little reckless on my part, but I never had a plan B, but I, I think that's what kind of kept me going. It kept me hungry. And it kind of psychologically told me you better make this work because you got nothing else to fall back on. And so she knew that. Um, so I was just going to get to take this as far as I could go. And she was incredibly supportive. My parents were incredibly supportive. You know, right. I mean, again, I was that 10 year old kid that said, you know, I'm going to be the the voice of the Pacers or the voice of IU, you know, whatever. And they they never laughed at me. They never said, hey, you might want to think about this because the odds are they're not in your favor. So they never really deterred me from attacking the dream and going for it, um, you know, anything like that. So they my family, my wife, uh, especially now, she's she's still incredibly supportive because now we have two kids. And so she makes a lot of sacrifices, especially on the weekends, nights and weekends when we have games, you know, basically from the months of July to January, February, you know, she is kind of, I hate to say it, but she's kind of like a, you know, one and a half parents because unfortunately my attention is most of the time diverted elsewhere. It's, it's a job that you really can't turn off. You know, it's kind of a 24 seven deal, especially during the season, when you got a game and you got rosters to memorize and players to know and things like that, like there's a lot of attention that goes into it and she's incredibly supportive with the kids. Trust me. I I try to be as, as good of a father as possible, but it's just during the season, there's a lot of time where I'm away and I'm working late and things like that. And she never holds a grudge. She never resents me. She's incredibly supportive. And, you know, I've told her that a million times and, you know, the crazy part is we're just getting going. I mean, I'm only in year three or four doing this and our kids are, you know, five and and one. So we got a long way to go. Um, But, you know, I know I'm getting long-winded as far as this goes, but, you know, when the off season hits, then I got to be dad, you know, a thousand percent because I have to make up for lost time that I got by either, you know, being away for weekends or traveling with the team and just, uh, you know, diverting a lot of attention to my job you know, during the season for those seven, eight months.
0: It's tough, man. It, it's very tough. I've heard people, uh, I'm still single. I, I have no girlfriend, not married, never been married. So I don't know about all the things that you go through as someone who is married with kids. That's a different dynamic. But one I, one thing I have heard is how hard it is for people, not just in this field, but just in every field where one person husband or wife is devoted to go after a career that they love And then the other person might not be on the same page or might not be as supportive as maybe they should be. And then there's friction there. Things get tough. Things get rough. You add kids to the mix and they have to be a big piece of that relationship because you're helping raise young people. And so I love hearing stories like this because not everybody has what you have where your wife is very supportive and really understands how much this means to you and is really being the supporter that you need mm-hmm. in this journey. No, it's a
1: great, it's a great point. And I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because it, it, it's same thing with coaches, coaches and players, yeah. like yeah. the sacrifices they make so that their husbands can be involved in professional sports, professional football. I mean, especially the coaches. I mean, you talk about the hours that I work. I mean, they're working double probably. Um. So, you know, my, my routine, if you will, is, you know, during the season Monday through Friday, there is just not enough hours in the day, uh, you know, business hours, if you will, to get everything done that I need to get accomplished. So, you know, it's it's work all day, you know, nine to five, if you will, and then you know my family will get home from school or you know uh, daycare or wherever, and we'll do dinner, spend some time in the evening, we'll we'll play a game, do bath time, do bedtime, and then when the dust kind of settles for the evening around you know, eight, eight thirty, I'll go back to work. Yeah. And I'll work until about eleven thirty midnight because there's just not enough time. And so you're talking about a quality of life where it's just work in front of the computer, memorizing, you know, trying to do the the job justice in terms of being the voice of a team. So that's a responsibility that I think, you know, merits all that work and all of that, you know, intense uh, preparation but there's a lot of times where I, I would love to kind of just hit the pause button and go watch a TV show with my wife and, and really, you know, take her out to dinner on the weekends or, you know, things like that. But there's just not enough time. And when we first started dating, you know, I had, I had to know this about her. It, it, it we, we would not be together if she was not as supportive and as, um, uh, you know, as you know, knowing that you know she was going to have to make some sacrifices. Not that I say, "Oh, I, we can't be together if I can't pursue this dream." But thankfully, it never got to that point in our relationship because she was she was always saying, "You do what you have to do. I support you." You know that that's what our relationship was was founded upon, and so we've always been really, really solid as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, like the, the, having two youngsters in the mix it makes it challenging because you want to be there for everything. You don't want to miss things, right? You, you want to be there for, you know, the funny things that they say about school or their first words, or, you know, the, the young guy, you know, my young son taking his first steps, you don't want to miss any of those things, but at the same time, there's just a lot of intense work that comes with the job and the responsibility of being, again, the voice of an NFL team.
0: Your journey to get this job has been a long one. It's been an interesting one. I don't know everybody's journey, but I do remember some little details about what took place. Bob Lamy comes out. You're kind of the interim guy, and you get that interim tag taken off to get the full-time job. Could you kind of walk us through, um, only saying the things you can. I know it was kind of delicate, some things that were said, but can you walk us through what took place and how you got the job to be the voice of the Colts?
1: Well, like I said, I was, you know, Bob was the voice of the team legendary, you know, been there for 30 plus years and I was doing everything basically except calling the game. Right. So when you think of a radio station, you got, you know, talent producers, researchers, um, you know, uh, sponsor people that, that, that sell the spots that traffic, the spots I wasn't selling, but I was helping traffic. So I was doing all, so I have all of those jobs as it relates to Colts radio plus overseeing the network and you know, all of those things. Um, So I was doing, uh, that was 2018, and the longer that I worked for the Colts, the more responsibility I had been given, right, doing TV uh, play-by-play for the preseason games, doing TV shows, sideline reporting for radio. Um, And so it was in the preseason. Bob was doing radio play-by-play. I was going to do TV preseason play-by-play. And everything with Bob went down, and a change needed to happen. And so obviously, you know, my long-term goal was to be the voice of the team or be in a position to be named voice of the team. And so uh, there just wasn't a lot of time for um, thinking. You just had to go. I mean, that happened, I think a day and a half before another preseason game. Oh, wow. And so I had to shift towards taking on the radio responsibilities, not only for that game, but for the entire season. And so, I was essentially doing two full-time jobs that year. I was doing right the the play-by-play stuff, which is it, that's its own animal in terms of prep and work and preparation. Plus all the behind the scenes stuff is, you know, the manager of radio production for the team. So, you know, it you, you can imagine just how nutso it was. We just didn't have time to make any adjustments. You know, like, do we hire somebody? Well, that's going to be counterproductive because then I'm just going to, have to spend my entire time, you know, teaching this person, getting that guy up to speed, those kinds of things. So it was just easier for me, unfortunately to do, you know, double the work. And so it was, it was insane. I mean, you talk about the long hours now, they were even longer back then. And, um, you know, I was the interim guy, so I was given the interim tag. And so, you know, what comes with that, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, suspicion and people, calling and texting and they want updates. Hey, what's going on? Are you hearing anything? Or are you the are you going to be the full-time guy? When are you going to know? And I just I had to shut my phone off. I mean, because yeah. it, it just became so distracting. And I'm that's not being critical of, you know, friends and family just trying to check in. They're just genuinely curious and supportive. But I just didn't have time for that. I had to just focus on the job. And you know, those that that first half of that season, you know, I would kind of be my own worst enemy, to be honest with you. I was, I was calling the games and you know, as soon as I shut the mic off to, to sign off at the end of the game, I would just immediately start reflecting. Okay. How how did that go? How did I perform? What are other people going to think about the game, the broadcast? And you try to think about appeasing all these different people. Okay. Is this person going to be involved in the decision? Is that person, how much weight is that person going to have? You know, do I need to change anything? Do I need to do things differently? And so I was just like this psychological worst enemy to myself, and there was a lot of sleepless nights. And what I just didn't want to happen was just live the embarrassment of being a a 33-year-old guy that had this massive opportunity, this colossal chance uh, for a big promotion, kind of a dream come true, chance of a lifetime, and then blow it. I, I didn't want to deal with that embarrassment. And this is not a shot at anybody else because, you know, if my neighbor across the street's up for promotion and he doesn't get it, well, the only couple of people they're going to know are him. You know his boss, maybe his boss's boss, his spouse, if he tells that person, that's it. If I didn't get this job, millions of people would know I didn't yeah. get this job. Yeah, so I didn't want I didn't want to have, you know that on my ledger. And you know I didn't want to deal with that embarrassment. It was terrifying to be honest with you, it was it sucked. And so there was a lot of sleepless nights and I don't know what part of the year it was, maybe the halfway point of the season. but I just told myself, you know what, just forget this because it's not healthy. This is, you know, really screwing up your, your psyche, just live in faith and not fear. And I think once I told myself that or convinced myself of that, it really kind of changed, uh, you know, my, it certainly helped my headspace. It changed my philosophy going into a game because I knew I could do it. I knew I was good enough. I knew I had the skills for it. I knew I had the passion for it. Um, and if it was meant to be, it'll, it'll be, it'll happen. So, um, that, that really kind of helped me in terms of my mentality going into these games because really the, the the games themselves that was my safe haven when I could just call the game and turn the mic on and and be you know the voice of the team for that time that's where I was that was that that's where I was most comfortable but then as soon as the game was over then it just became just you know a swirl of emotions and thoughts and it was kind of hard to deal with to be honest with you plus you got social media chiming in and all this stuff and the older generations of Colts fans saying, you know, there's no, there's nobody that replaces Bob Lamy," and, 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 and that's true, right? Yeah. Bob, Bob is a legend and no one will replace Bob, but I wasn't trying to be Bob. I was just trying to be, you know, Matt, I was trying to just do the job how I saw the job, you know, should be done and performed. I was trying to just do it, you know, the, the best of my ability. And so it all worked out, but you know, 2018 was a really, really crazy time. And, I'm sure five years from now I'll be able to look back on and laugh. But to be honest with you, I'm not there yet because it was just so crazy.
0: Got a couple more things for you here, really quickly, Matt. One of them is what's kind of a goal? Do you have a goal in broadcasting? Do you want this to be the rest of your career where you're just the voice of the Colts and that's it? Um, Dave Pass went to go that route where he's doing things nationally for ESPN and still doing things for the Cardinals. Um, I Eagle, who does things for the Jet um the Nets, excuse me, mm-hmm. but then has is dabbled into the um, college basketball, the NBA, the NFL. What's kind of a goal, if any, that you have in your career?
1: No, I I've never set goals as far as like this is what I have to do in order for me to qualify my success myself as successful. I, I've never done that. So if those things happen, if I get other opportunities elsewhere, that would be fantastic. You know, it's again when I was setting out for a career. Uh, in radio, I never told myself I got to be the voice of the Colts. You know, yeah. I never I never did that. And so I'm just, again, I'm, I'm going to ride this out as, to be honest with you, I, I pinch myself every freaking day because someone is paying me money yeah. to broadcast games, to talk about football, and to research the NFL. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what? So from that standpoint, I'm already – cloud nine, living a dream. I mean, how many people would be lining up to take this job from me? There's a lot of people that want to do it. And so I understand that. I respect that. I have such, um, respect for the job and admiration for, you know, the Ursa family for giving me this opportunity. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a 35, 36 year old guy, but at the end of the day, I'm just that 10 year old kid. That's, you know, calling games in his living room. So, Um, From that standpoint, no, I I don't think I've got anything that says, you know, I got to be doing games on ESPN or or, you know, anything like that in order for me to be successful. Because right now, I mean, I'm just living a dream because I live 15 minutes from Lucas Oil Stadium. So on game day, I take one street north and I can be in my chair in the radio booth in 15 minutes. So that's that's pretty cool, if you ask me.
0: Three broadcasters that have impacted your life, either people that you watched growing up that you never met but still had an impact, or even people now that you have met personally have a relationship with that have impacted you and kind of shape who you are um in your profession.
1: Well, I don't think it's just three, because, like I said, I listen to a lot That's of true. games, still do. And I, I do that so that I can listen to you know their style, how they're calling plays, the description that they're using. How they're going into breaks, how they're going out of breaks. Um, I'm also listening for production elements as well. Mm. Um, sorry, I got a got the doorbell in the background here, so this is <laughs> this is pretty authentic. Um, but you know, so there's a lot of guys that I listen to to, and again, I'm just a melting pot. I'm 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 not completely stealing things, but I'm making it my own. Just like I mean, that's what we all do, right? That's what we all do in this in this profession is we admire people and we take. And we make it our own. We put our own spin on it. So, um, you know, from a from a really big picture standpoint, you know, nationally, uh, you know, I'm a big Kevin Kugler guy. Okay. I'm a big Kevin Harlan guy.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and then locally, growing up, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, my my dad had season tickets to IU football and basketball, and so we would, you know, have Don Fisher on before and after the game. And unfortunately, being a football fan, uh, driving home on 37 North. Uh, to Indianapolis, we left uh, to hear a majority of a lot of those fourth quarters as well. So um, so the, those are the guys, those are the big influences on me. And then Don's just always been a really big mentor and a good guy, good friend. He's been a good sounding board throughout the course of my career. And so he's just uh, as solid as they come. And then, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, just so many other guys locally um, that I could choose from. But th- those would be the big three
0: were you a big Mark Patrick guy?
1: Of course. I mean, Mark, Mark Patrick had, he had the arsenal. He had the Bob and Tom impressions. He had who's your millionaire. He had, you know, um, his own sports show. I mean, so you talk about versatility and talent. I mean, anything Mark Patrick did, he did at an incredibly high level. And so he is, he is certainly a guy that I was aware of. I mean, he, he kind of his his career, at least on television, dissipated a little bit as I got into middle school, high school. And so I don't have a ton of memories. I mean, I remember going to my grandparents and watching Who's Your Millionaire on Sunday nights and eating fried chicken. And there was Mark Patrick. And so um, absolutely, you know, Mark is a guy that I have, uh, you know, modeled some of the things that I do. in impress- and, and, you know, impersonation wise, you know, things like that, because he is uh, incredibly talented at all that he touches.
0: That was kind of the perfect segue. I didn't realize that that was going to happen when I mentioned Mark Patrick, but I do want to end this interview uh, conversation with a little humor, a little fun. I've been on YouTube. I've heard you. I think um, when you've called into radio shows, they'll have you do impressions, impersonations of different people. I have three here. So I'm going to list off the three, kind of give you your your the floor. Then at the the fourth, I just want you to do somebody that I've never heard. I guess whoever, whoever you want, maybe a local guy. No, make it a national guy. So I got JMV first and then Don Fisher. And then Marv Albert. So the fourth, we'll just do some national guy, if you can do one, just to humor us all. But JMV, local Sports Talk radio host, Drive Time in Indianapolis, Um, he's a very different, to me he's different, but he's a breath of fresh air, and he's perfect for this city. Let's do JMV, um, a Friday afternoon, picking up his kid, and his kid kind of talks about how his kid fails a test. (laughs) So jmv's responding to his kid with his kids telling him that he failed a test
1: well you're talking to the guy that produced that show for two and a half years so Ooh. I I understand the inner workings of Jmv maybe better than than most so uh the guy the guy's great as you said but uh listen here Jay there is absolutely no question about it uh when you look at this test and I, I mean at Eastern Green I didn't study for tests uh I would I would cheat off of uh, Mac Jenkins. Shout out to Mac Jenkins, by the way. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, Mac Jenkins would write down the answers to a Scantron test. He would go A, B, B, A, B, C. Uh, he would write that down on the back of his chair in third period, so the Knucklehead JMV would come in fourth period and have the answers to the Scantron test on the back of his chair. But Laney. Laney failing the <laughs> test in English. I'd look at Laney and i say, Laney, uh, how do you fail an English test? You speak it. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we got a lot to get into. We got some foobar action going on with Laney's Fubar. English test. Uh, that is craptacular. Uh, but at any rate, we'll be back on 1070. The fan follow my voice to the savings at Meyer. We'll be back after this.
0: <laughs> perfect. That is perfect. Let's do Don Fisher. The year is 2024. Wow. Indiana beats Kentucky in the national championship. Don Fisher has a call of the final play as Indiana beats Kentucky to win what would be their sixth national championship.
2: Well, we got a bunch of six-year seniors on this bowl club as Parker Stewart And Trey Galloway rocked the ball across the timeline. They give off right side to Christian Lander. Indiana and Kentucky are tied at 54 with 10 seconds to go in the ball game here in the national championship. And a game being played at downtown Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, Stewart across the timeline gives off to Xavier Johnson. Top the key to Miller Kopp. Over to Race Thompson. Down low to Trace Jackson Davis. Little sky hook as the buzzer sounds. He got it. Indiana. Indiana knocks down to Kentucky and they improve to their sixth national championship and program history at Indiana. The Hoosiers and Mike Woodson take the program from depths into new heights and a banner will be raised here at the
1: assembly hall. <laughs> this is perfect. How long have you been doing this? Uh, dude, I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, probably since I was 12, like I said, I mean, I, I would listen so intently to broadcasts that not only would I get a good feel for their style, but just how they talk. And then, it, so that just kind of you know spawned into me being able to actually do impressions of people. So it's, it's, it's the ultimate compliment, right? I mean, if I can, if someone can do an impression of you, it means, it means they are, you know, flattering you to the point where they are paying so much attention to you yeah. and have so much respect for you that they can, talk like you so that's that's how I've always treated it Don knows that Don's heard the impression a gazillion times and I I hope that's how he takes it because that's how I mean for it to be accepted
0: last one that I have for you Marv Albert you can take this wherever you want to go (laughs) wow
1: um well well Marv's great Marv Marv, I used to listen to Marv on on Monday Night Football right Hmm. doing Westwood one so I'll, I'll go that route
2: Back here at the Meadowlands, it's the Monday night broadcast of the week brought to you by Barbasol, alongside Boomer i I'm Marv Albert. It is the New York Jets taking on the Buffalo Bills here in week 13 of the NFL season. Tonight's broadcast also brought to you by GEICO, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Our pregame show wraps up after this. You're listening to the NFL on Westwood One.
0: Love it, I love it. I'm trying to keep my laughter in, so you can just keep going the entire time, so no one's hearing me laugh the entire time. But these are perfect. Um, one last one, a national guy, maybe a national radio, um, TV person doesn't really matter. Just la- one last one to leave us as we close out this show.
1: I'll just, I'll just go local. Actually, I'll okay. give you, I'll give you Bob Lovell because you know perfect. Bob, perfect. Bob's an icon, and right, I mean Bob's, Bob's in the radio hall of fame in Indiana for just. Basically keeping it simple and, and building an institution around that, right? And it's it's fantastic working on that show. That was a dream come true. But, you know, the standard Bob Lovell question or the the interview when he's talking to somebody, calling in to recap a high school football game or basketball game. Joining us now is Walt Ferber from WZBD down in Jasper. Walt,
2: congratulations on a big win for the Wildcats. Tell me who played well tonight.
1: Congratulations. now you got jerry you got jerry judon you've got matthew burker fantastic players on that ball club like you talked about but senior stepped up in big moments in the fourth quarter did they not i mean just just cliche open ended question after open ended question and nobody's mad about it because it just lets the coach or the broadcaster just highlight you know just it, it's just laid up there on a tee where the guy can just go and talk about his his team, the game, and go wherever he wants to go, fill time, and that's what the show is all about. It's fantastic.
0: He is such an easy listen. After going to a game on a Friday night or Saturday night, you can just pop into your car.
1: Congratulations. Tell
2: me who played well tonight.
0: Exactly. He just makes it so easy, so simple. The games that are, like, in the middle of nowhere Indiana, he makes <laughs> it seem like it's right in your backyard. I'm like, dude, you're you're perfect for this state.
1: Well, he also makes it seem like he knows every player on every team. <laughs> Right, from class 6A to 1A, because he fools you, fools you that well, but he is just that good at doing that show. And that show will live on, but, you know, Bob's the guy that perfected it. There's no question about that. But, yeah, I mean, you just call in, and it's just, you know, I get on, I get on that show now, talk about the Colts. Well, big quarterback decision coming up, Matthew. You know, like, just, yeah, let's talk about Carson Wentz. Like, how did we get here? I mean, it's just, it's, it's great. It's so much
0: fun. <laughs> We left all the Colts talk from this past season away from this show. Maybe I have to have you back on later, maybe next year, to talk about that very thing because the Colts season, talented team, didn't really end the way that people thought about it that they wish it would. But, Matt, this has been fun, man. This has been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed you on the show. Just talking about your journey and what it's what's made it unique to you. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, thanks for coming on the Jay Stevens podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Man, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much.
0: I told you, I told you, I gave you a hint that waiting until the end of the interview to hear the impressions Matt Taylor does was going to be worth it. And there was a time you may have been someone that closed your eyes when he started to talk like Marv Albert, and you thought in your head, that's not Matt Taylor, that's Marv Albert, the now retired play-by-play broadcaster who has done phenomenal work throughout his career. No, that was Matt Taylor, just one of the many talents that he has in his bag, and it was so much fun having him here on the podcast. Oh, trust me, trust me, he's one of those guests we'll have back on once again because because there's a whole lot Matt and I can talk about, especially regarding Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. Thank you so much for listening to and enjoying another episode of the J. Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens 7 Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button. Subscribe to this video. Help this channel continue to grow. This has been episode 235 of the Jay Smith Podcast. I will see y'all next time.